you'll please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy. Last week we finished up 1 Timothy, and so today we're going to bring, begin 2 Timothy. Now, in order, it would have gone 1 Timothy, Titus, and then back to 2 Timothy. And we believe that this is probably the last letter that Paul writes. So in 1 Timothy, we recognize that he talked about what is the nature and practice of the church? What is it about ministerial offices? How to, to deal with widows and the, widows in the midst of worship and public worship? But in 2 Timothy, we truly believe that Paul is now in prison. And he's prison in Rome awaiting his execution. A lot of people bring up that he's probably alone, cold. Uh, they talk about it being a cistern that he's uh, in awaiting his execution where there's, they drop him in through a hole from the top um, and there's nothing there for them except to wait execution and to kind of think upon the things as they have. And so it's at this point that they believe that 2 Timothy is written from Paul to Timothy. And so he's writing a very personal letter, um, but he's also kind of reminding him, hey, Timothy, I want you to understand um, there's heavier burdens that are coming your way. Um, and so this is a, a very personal letter from Paul to Timothy, and he's telling him, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself for the things that are about to come. So we're looking at 2 Timothy verses 1 through 7 this morning. Let us look to the Lord's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Since God's word. Let's pray for his guidance. Heavenly Father, again, as we come to your word, Lord, we need the Holy Spirit to move. And as Ed has already read for us, we, we need to be led by the Spirit daily. Lord, you tell us to put off the old and to put on the new and to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to understand that you allow the spirit to move in such a way that we do look more like Jesus when we leave here today than when we came in. And we know you're faithful because you hear your son who even now intercedes on our behalf. And it's in his name that we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. So we're gonna look at this uh, passage this morning as, as uh, Paul begins his second letter to Timothy. And we start off by looking at the greeting from Paul to Timothy. And he starts off by, again, reminding him, not just for Timothy, obviously Timothy knows, but he's under, also understanding that this letter is going to be read to the churches. And so there's a lot of people that are struggling with the Apostle Paul to be an apostle. And so part of what Paul is doing is he's telling them and allowing the, the church to know that he is an apostle. And he was an apostle that was chosen by the will of God. It's a divinely inspired. It's something that 
um, he had to be summoned to. It's not something that he just decided, hey, I want to be an apostle. It's a gift that God gives to Paul and the other apostles that were with Jesus in a very specific way. It's also how we look at those who are ruling elders and teaching elders and deacons. It's not just a, it's not just a position. It's something that God has to call us to. Because if we think of it as a position, it becomes a job. And when it becomes a job, then it becomes nasty. But it's got to be a calling. And when it's a calling, it's something that God puts on us. And then he equips us to do the ministry that he calls us to. And so he's called as an apostle according to the will of God. But he's also called to the promise. See, Paul, remember, again, keep this in mind as we go through this uh, book. Paul's in prison awaiting execution. And he's not looking, listen, to uh, confidence in friends. He's not looking for confidence even in the church. He's looking in confidence to God. And so he's, even as he's in this prison cell, even as he's going through this trial and tribulation, he's reminded of the promise of eternal life. Again, anybody who comes up to you and tells you that Christianity, once you become a Christian, it's going to become easy, is lying to you. To live the Christian walk is hard. And God calls us to all different things. But God is the one who's faithful. He's the one who walks through all things. And so he calls Timothy, um, in, Timothy to be in Ephesus, but he also is calling Paul to be in prison at this point. And so Paul's trying to encourage him. He says, hey, I've been called to communicate the gospel. And I communicate the gospel because I have the promises of eternal life. So no matter the situations we find ourselves here on earth, the end is guaranteed and it's a good thing and so we live our lives in the midst of this world looking forward to the world that's to come and so he comes with this letter and he calls him his beloved Timothy now he does this because he is he, he really does treat him as a dearly beloved son he loves Timothy and it's one of those things where, again, he, he begins to, to mentor him throughout his lifetime. And again, every one of us should be in, in mentorship in one place or another. We should be mentoring other people. We should have people that we look to that mentor us in different ways in different areas of our lives. And that means that we need to be about doing life on life with each other. Truthfully. I need you to understand that you are loved. Now you're loved by an imperfect pastor. And I get that. Okay? If you're looking for me to be your chit-chat buddy, you're going to be sadly disappointed. Because my conversations go from, let's talk about football and sports to, well, Ed, why are you um, cheating the government on your taxes? What? There's no in-between for me. I have no filter. It's either we're talking about surfacey things or I want you to start talking about real things. But it doesn't mean that you're not loved. One of the things I can say to you, and you can talk to my kids about this and my wife, and they will verify, I'm a great listener. And you need to understand that you guys are loved. Do I communicate that effectively to you? 
No, probably not. But I can sit here and I can go around the world, the world, the room, and I can start telling you about almost every person in here, even Otto, who was a visitor last week, who's at Grumman. He's in the little white building awaiting his clearances. So I prayed for Otto this week. Now, did Otto have any inkling that I was doing that? No, well, because he didn't leave his number. I mean, it's not really, he didn't really care to leave me his number or anything. No, it's not Otto's fault. But does Otto feel, even in the midst of being welcomed here, if, Miss, um, if this person asked me to go, um, Miss Dixie, if she asked me to go look for a baby's little binky in the trash cans in my suit, I would do it. Because I love Miss Dixie. And I could go around the room, but if I started to do that, people would say, especially if I forgot someone, why didn't you say anything about me? <laughs> Tim adds it. Are we loving one another? But pastor, you don't understand. I don't like everybody in this church. Get over it. Start to be honest with one another. Invite yourself to somebody else's house. I'm serious about that. And be honest, truly be honest. I remember when I first got here, I was invited to somebody's house because it was my uh, wife and children weren't here yet. So I was trying to go around, meet everybody in the church and stuff, and I got invited to someone's house, and they made um, cabbage soup for the lunch. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I was like, first of all, do you see me? Does it look like I live off a cabbage shoe? But that's what they were going to serve, so I was going to eat it. But I did make it known, please, if you ever invite me back, please don't serve cabbage soup. How horrible that is, Pastor. Why would you say that? Because you guys get it too. If I'm going to bring a, a meal to your house, I'm going to ask you, what do you like? I like barbecue ribs and potatoes. Great, I'll bring you some barbecue ribs and potatoes. Okay, because we all get in this situation. The first time I, I went on a real date with my wife, because we disagree about the first date, but the real date I'm, uh, with my wife, she asked, well, what do you want me to make you for dinner? It doesn't matter. So she makes corn. I hate corn. <laughs> and then she said, she brings out the dessert, and it's strawberry shortcake. I hate strawberries. So here she was, she goes through all this work and everything like that, and half the food, I'm just like, Ugh. Why can't we be honest with each other in love? That's what he calls us to in the church. To love one another, even in the simple things. So we have this, this understanding that, again, we've got to recognize that people around us are progresses. They're people who are in work. They're not done. None of us are done this side of heaven. But God's more concerned about us being in each other's lives and caring for one another and loving one another the way that Christ loves the church as compared to us loving in our own power. Ian e. Bounds is famous for this quote, churches are looking for better methods, God is looking for better people. 
So the question for all of us is the, the question, how are, we, how are we measuring up? Are we living out Christ to those around us? And if, they, if I am doing that, would they know it? And then when he tells Timothy, he says, I wanted to ask that the grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ come to you. It's from them. Timothy has to live in that grace, mercy, and peace so that he might effectively give it away to other people. So Paul gives Timothy this greeting. Then he goes into the bulk, okay, of what we are looking at today, verses 3 through 5, and then on to 6 and 7. But we have this understanding where he's talking about the faith, And he says, I'm thanking God whom I serve as did my ancestors. Now, again, he's thanking God for this great thing that he's been given, this generations that God has given to him of a godly heritage. Both Paul and Timothy come from a good stock, right? Not perfect, because we also understand that Timothy had a Greek father, and it seems like he wasn't a Christian. But his grandmother and his mother were Christians and instilled into him the Christian faith. Paul came from a a godly heritage, even though it was um, the Pharisees, he is brought into the faith so that he recognizes his godly heritage that he was given. And again, sometimes here's where I struggle, okay, because again, most of you who know me know that I am a jerk of a jerk and I grew up in Cocoa Beach um, not knowing Jesus Christ not living for Christ at all. And so when Christ came to me and changed my life, it was significant. Okay? And there's a lot of things that I wish I could go back and change. Things that I wish I had never done. Things that I had never said. So I don't understand when people come up to me and go, Oh, growing, in a, growing up in a Christian family is so bad. We don't get to do anything. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? You have been given a godly heritage where from the day that you were born to wherever you are in life, you have never known a day that God was not a part of your life. That's boring. You're serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's given you every opportunity to be loved by him and to take his word out into the the world. How greater, uh, I want to go to the parties. I don't get it. We have been given the gift, if you are a Christian, of that godly heritage. And God uses even messed up people, even messed up families. And I'm an example of it. But please, if you have grown up in a Christian home, thank God for it. Because you've been given the truth that has set you free from the very beginning. Now, I get it. Do you struggle? Does it have to become your own faith? Yes, I get that. But you don't have to go to the world to figure out what is true. So rise up and call the people that are blessed. But also understand how important the next generation is. It's why we want young people involved up here. You should be in each other's lives. That's why we don't separate out into generations. We don't have the the, uh, teenagers, just the teenagers, and then the young marrieds, and then just the young people, and then the old people who have nothing left to do. We don't do that. 
Why? It's on purpose. It's because we're supposed to be in each other's lives. So even though Jeff McKendry, who I've asked for the last five years to come and have dinner with me, and he still has not done it for the last five years, I still love Jeff McKendry. I still try to find connection with Jeff McKendry. So we get to go fishing on the beach. What about Tim Adson, who's going to be going away to UCF in an honors program? One of the things, and I think Tim was being honest with me, Pastor Jeff, I get to know you, and then I get, you get removed out of my life, and then comes in Coleman, and then he's going to get removed out of my life. I'm tired of trusting people. I'm tired of opening up. You're right, Tim. But God will never leave you nor forsake you, and Tim, neither will your pastor. You're never alone. Gosh dang it, I told God, don't do this. Love the next generation. Be a part of their lives. Be praying for them. Have them in your home. Speak to them. Because I do believe we are one generation away from apostasy. So how do we minister? And Paul's saying, thank God. Thank God for the opportunities and the people that we get to have. And he says, I've lived with a clear conscience. Now it doesn't mean that he... Paul's trying to say that he was sinless, but he is saying, I've been faithful. I've been blameless. I've been blameless of loving other people. So much so that he begins to say to Timothy and to remind him, I'm praying for you. Day and night. Oh, Timothy, I love you so much. And you need to recognize that I'm praying for you. Who are you praying for? Truly, who are you praying for? Who's on your list? And do they know it? Have you communicated to them? I mean, one, one of the things that I, I think I actually do pretty well a lot of times is people that I haven't seen in a long time is I, I'll write to them and say, hey, I'm thinking and praying for you today. Just need you to know that. Just a quick text. Oh, man. That meant so much to me. Really, it's just a text. You have no idea what I was going through. You have no idea the struggles that I'm walking through. Oh, maybe we need to talk. Yeah, maybe we do. But who are you putting on your list? Who are you praying for continually? Who are you seeking to minister to? So he has this understanding and this clear conscience, this sincere prayer, day and night for Timothy. But then he praises God in the midst of all circumstances. Now, if someone had an opportunity to gripe and complain, I would think it would be Paul at this moment. He's in prison. He's awaiting execution. I would imagine that a lot of the people that were surrounding him at some point have now left him alone. He's away from the people he loves. But he doesn't gripe and complain. I would. 
I want you to know when I'm not doing well. But when it crosses over to where it's about me and me alone and not about Christ and how he takes care of people in situations, then that's a bad place to be. And so Paul, in the midst of all the circumstances, doesn't gripe and complain. He's actually filled with joy. He's filled with joy, even in the worst of circumstances. It's why the scripture tells us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that seem so important will be added to you when they go into the right perspective. In all of our circumstances, are we griping and complaining or are we joyful? Paul says to be joyful. Why? Because we have a sincere faith. And he starts to talk to, to Timothy about this. And the question, I think, for all of us is, is our faith genuine or do we live a double standard? Now, I've told you, there have been people in my life who asked very specifically or made this very specific statement of, I'm not sure you're a Christian, Jeff Godwin. Now, why would they say that? Because for a lot of the years that I would say that I was a Christian, I was living a double standard. I could act, act one way at church in a completely different way on Monday. So who was the real Jeff? Was it Jeff who sold out to Jesus Christ and wanted to live for him and to give him all glory and honor that he is rightfully due? Or is it Jeff who was looking for the party and wanted to be accepted by friends who I don't even keep in contact with anymore, but would compromise who I am to fit in with the crowd? Sometimes I was trying to do both at the same time. I don't think I'm the only one. What is our top priority in life? Is it to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? Or do we give Jesus just a little bit on the side? But what we're really about is how do I do life? How do I get the most out of what this world has to offer? See, our faith will become very evident, especially in hard situations. Because we're either running to Christ or running from him. There is no neutral. Either he is the savior, either he is the center of our world, or he becomes last. What an incredible gift that Paul can look at Timothy and say, I look at your life and I say, I believe you have a sincere faith that's come down from your grandmother to your mother, and now I see evident in you. When people see us, do they see a sincere faith? Or do they see a good actor? So as Paul is talking to Timothy about this, he he tells him in verses six and seven to do the following. He says, fan the flame. So here you have 
Timothy, and again, if we're honest, I mean, what we know about Timothy is Timothy was shy. He was timid. Um, he didn't like confrontation. But he was called by God, and he was gifted and equipped to do what God has called him to do. Just like all of us. But there are times where the embers start to fade, the, the fire starts to burn down. And he's saying, here's what you need to do, Timothy. You need to stoke that fire. You need to work at it. You need to develop your skills. See, even the most talented and the gifted people still need to work at it. Just because there are great athletes out there, they don't get to just go. Why do they still have to practice? They don't just go out there on Sunday or at game time and have this incredible game. They have to practice even at the greatest levels. So we need to make sure that we're gifting and we're stoking and we're working hard at the gifts that God has given to us, which is for Christ, for his elevation, his glory, but it's also for other people around us. Your gifts are here for the church. How are we using our gifts for one another? How are we building each other up? How are we loving each other the way that Christ loves us? And again, it's not rocket science. Love, the way that God loves us is easy. Again, if you're looking for a perfect love, you're not going to find it in this pastor. And I'm not your savior. I can't fix anything for anybody in here. But I know who can. I know who loves you so amazingly and so perfectly from the beginning of the foundations of the world to where you're at and where you will be. He never changes. But he allows us to. He allows us to, to take the spirit. And again, I want you to mark out... Um, the word, the small s in your Bibles, yes, I'm telling you, write in your Bibles, the spirit, not of fear, it's the Holy Spirit. Write in, Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who does not give us a, a, a spirit, our spirit, of fear. We're not supposed to be timid. We're supposed to have the power of, of the Holy Spirit. And this, the power of the Holy Spirit is the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. This is the spirit that dwells within you. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Some of the things that, that uh, Timothy um, Bennett is going through far surprises me how he's able to handle it. But he equipped Timothy to deal with that for some reason. And he's going to use it. He will never just abandon that. He'll use it for his glorification and for Timothy's good. Well, I don't want to go through that. But God's going to take you through something else. He's going to say, in my grace is sufficient for you in the midst of this. Because my Holy Spirit is a spirit of power. And then he adds these words in love and self-control. Now, why does he add that? 
I think he adds that because, again, we have an opportunity, in it, especially as just people who go through life, to become fanatics. Fanatics are dangerous people. Don't believe me? You go to a collegiate game in the southeast where you're the minority visiting team. And see how enjoyable that walk is to the stadium. Or if you don't think that your car is not going to be the one to be keyed. That's why I have magnets, Florida State magnets. I don't put on stickers. I want to be able to pull them off. So if I'm going somewhere, somebody's not going to key my car because I'm a Florida State fan. Well, you're not a real fan then, Pastor. Okay. But think about that. But if I have love and discipline connected to the power of the Holy Spirit, then I know what I'm doing is according to the Word of God. So here's how we begin. Paul coming to Timothy, saying, my life is done. But you still have life to live, Timothy. And I'm telling you without a shadow of a doubt, what you need more than anything, Timothy, is God. You need him in your life. You need him with mercy and peace and goodness and self-control. And man, if you're going to love the people of the church, you've got to be led by the Spirit. And take your sincere faith the faith that I know that you love Jesus more than anything in this world and live it out to the people around you. Pray for them. Encourage them. Build them up. Love them the way that Christ has loved them. And I hope that one day you can say that about your pastor. He loved me the way that Christ loves me. And now I'm called to love the people around me too. I'm telling you, you want to see a church that begins to impact society love the way that Christ loves. Amen? Let's pray.